a few names. Ann Steed. Joseph Norbury. Thomas Salmon. Elizabeth Longmore. Susanna Pilson. Susanna Spencer. Eleanor Lee. Mary Charlton. I know you're thinking, who are these people? These are but a few of the early Methodists whom John Wesley claimed were made perfect in Christ. You can check me on this, read his journal, read his letters. He said that they were sanctified throughout. In his words, he said, they are cleansed from all pollution, both of the flesh and of the spirit. He said, they loved the Lord their God with all their heart and with all their mind and with all their soul and with all their strength. In fact, he wrote his brother Charles in 1766 and John said that he had observed by his estimation at least 500 who fit this very description that were a part of those who called themselves Methodist. Some, he said, received this perfection instantaneously upon Christ coming into their hearts. For many more, he said, he observed this gradual progression that moved them to rejoice evermore, to pray without ceasing, and in everything to give thanks. And when questioned about this, John clarified that he believed that these persons were perfected in love. Not that they were without fault, but that every intention of their heart was to love God and to love their neighbor. Every intention of their heart. This doctrine caused quite a stir for Wesley. In fact, it was the case that his brother Charles chafed at it, but it became this signature doctrine of Methodism. You've heard speak perhaps of holiness amidst Methodists. Oh Lord, that it might break out again today. Wesley, defended it as deeply, deeply scriptural. For it's taken directly from the words of Jesus a little later in this chapter when he addresses the crowds that listen to him. And he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. John Wesley claimed, why else would Jesus give us this instruction if he did not believe it was possible for us to become perfect 
in this life. Oh, you and I ward it all off because we think that we're doing such a good job of remembering the scripture and quoting it at those times when we ourselves do something that is wrong or somebody else that we know has done something that is wrong and we clarify it by using Romans 3, since all have sinned, we say, and fallen short of the glory of God. As if this is in some way a clarifier for the fact that we are all sinners saved by God's grace, which is also scripture, right? But the way in which we use it is to let ourselves off the hook, which full circle takes us in the wrong direction. I believe that Wesley would have been concerned had he given thought to the psalmist and the way in which the psalmist sees all things going badly at certain points. Psalm chapter 12 begins with these words, Help, O Lord, for there is no longer anyone who is godly. And in the 14th chapter, the words, they have all gone astray. They are all alike perverse. There is no one who does good, no, not one. And you may be saying to yourself, this describes our culture and our society to the T right now. As you look out at the world around you, do you sense that God is failing at his work? Do you sense that he is not perfecting anyone? Do you sense that all of this that he has given to us in Christ is somehow flawed? Oh, but you are not looking closely enough. I have no doubt that Wesley would take issue with this line of reasoning. He believed and in fact witnessed that we are moving on because of the good grace of Christ in our midst, moving on toward perfection. Now, some of you know that Hadley Campbell in our church is what I would call a monarch butterfly midwife. And he heard that I preached about him at 845 and he came to my office. He said, would you like to use these? I said, I surely would. Um, at the first of the summer, I showed interest in this project, which really has to do with Beverly, who is Hadley's wife, a, a pre-K teacher who uses this as a class demonstration more than anything, but it has taken over about two or three months of their life now. Hadley noticed that I was interested and he said, well, it all begins with milkweed. And I said, well, get me some milkweed. And so he brought me some clumps of milkweed from his yard and I planted them at the back of our yard. And I said, what do I need to do now? And he said, no, he said, these are weeds. They will take care of themselves. And sure enough, over the course of the summer, the milkweed is up to our waist and it is just, uh, welcoming the butterflies to come in because the butterflies 
see this as being a prime place to lay eggs and you can't see it so very well from where you are and so you can come after worship and look more closely but he has milkweed suspended here and now of course the caterpillars are eating the milkweed that's what they are sustaining their lives with um, but it all starts with the journey of a butterfly that comes to the milkweed plant and deposits an egg on the underside of the leaf, a little white egg, which then turns dark and then from which emerges this microscopic caterpillar that begins to make its way in the world. Now, Hadley said to me what's so interesting in his yard is that the butterfly that came to lay most of the eggs from his observation was herself an imperfect vessel. In fact, she had a wing that was malformed or injured in some way, but that she would make her way for days on end, she would make her way from one leaf to the next to lay these eggs and to deposit them and to start their lives. And he said, it's not a perfect process. In fact, I was talking to him just a few days ago and he said the butterflies, some of them come out of the chrysalis with their wings folded and they never do completely unfold. And so they live just for a short period of time as they offer up their life so it may be as well as they can. I hope that you hear what I'm saying right now because I fear that somebody sitting here in this place today will think there's not much good in me that would bless someone else for the Lord. And in fact, there is not an ounce of me that is perfect. I would ask you the question, do you see an imperfect butterfly in this cage? Each of these butterflies have been given life by Christ who was with God from the beginning of creation and who lives not only in them but who lives in us as well. And Wesley was on to something when he was talking about perfection because you and I discount our ability and because we discount our ability, we discount others' ability to have Christ's perfection. I remember the first appointment that I served years ago. A small church was added to that appointment in order to make it viable for a pastor to be appointed there. And at that church to which we would travel weekly for services, it was always an excruciating thing because the pianist was not like Becky at the piano here or Tina at the organ. She, her giftedness was very limited. In fact, it was so limited that I think the congregation had decided that it was not worth getting the piano tuned for her. And so 
the combination, the combination of a piano that was so long overdue for a tuning and for this soul who was not really capable of playing the instrument that well anyway. It was, it was hard on the ear. But if you could have watched this precious soul play, it would have changed your perspective on what she was offering to God because there was perfection in it. She truly was near to the heart of God and everything about her spirit was lifted in that direction. She wasn't thinking of herself as perfect. In fact, I suspect that she knew that she had little to offer, but it was the way in which she was so focused on Christ that made what she had to offer the perfect thing that John Wesley particularly was talking about. And I think that to which Jesus was referring when he said, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. It's a strange thing, the ordination process for Methodist preachers. I was in St. Luke Sanctuary, a very large church over in Columbus, Georgia, back at the first part of June for the ordination service of the new ministers that are coming into our conference. There's a long list of questions that the bishop asks them that are a part of that ordination. Three of the questions that are asked are very pointed. Listen to these. Are you going on to perfection? Do you expect to be made perfect in love in this life? Are you earnestly striving after it? I mean, what would you say if somebody asked you that question? I mean, all we can say is, yes, if you want to be a pastor in the United Methodist Church, you have to say yes to those questions. Yes, by the grace of God. My, my feeling is that these questions should not just be offered to pastors, but to everyone who is connected with the Methodist movement because they so define for us what John Wesley was hoping that we would not forget and that we are called to perfection. I heard one bishop when he offered these questions to stop the ordination and he said, if you are not moving on to perfection, what are you moving on toward? And I thought, that is insightful. Which direction are we headed? It has been much on my heart and yours, I know, especially that newcomer Duggan, whose homegoing service we had yesterday, the passages of scripture that were shared in that setting contained things that were so connected with what we are considering today. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses 16 to 18. Listen, so we do not lose heart even though our outer nature is wasting away. Our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. 
because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. Does not this remind you of what Jesus said? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Listen to this passage from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Some of us live a very distracted existence, and frankly, all of us would fit that category at some point. Do you remember how two of the disciples were so distracted after Jesus' death on the cross, even word had reached them about the possibility of his having been raised from the dead And as they journeyed on the road to that community of Emmaus, they were joined by Jesus, but they did not know it was Jesus. It says that right here. It says, now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And later in this same passage, it's so fascinating because when Jesus was persuaded to stay with them and they were seated at the table for the evening meal, it says when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It might just be a glimpse of God, but let me tell you, it will make all the difference in who you and I are. Today we come together at the table once again. Are you looking for God? Do you think that he is perfecting you? Do you think that's possible? Be ye perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect.